welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of uh, PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show, a packed show this week. We're still uh, digging out after PR Decoded and the Purpose Awards in Chicago. Frank, it was a great week, wasn't it? it was in a great the week. windy city. Yes, it was. It wasn't so windy. Hey, our guest, you're not supposed to yet, Carol. Come on. <laughs> Nobody knows who you are. That's our special guest, Carol Cohn, CEO of Carol Cohn on Purpose, and also the first recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Purpose Awards. So congratulations, Carol. Oh, my God. It was like so. Thank you. Let me just say thank you. It was, it was, a, it was a stunning event for those of you who weren't there. It was so flavorful of all the different types of ways that we can approach purpose. Yeah. So and was, much more, not just purpose, purpose plus. It was purpose plus yes. plus. Yeah. Yes. No, it was good. I think it's the best content we've ever done. So uh, if you weren't there, you missed out, but you can catch up with it on uh, on the website. And we've got some um, various snippets that we're going to put into this show as well. Uh, producer Fitz will be working his magic so you can hear some of the bits from the keynotes. Maybe David Hogg, he was amazing. And uh, Dan Amos, the CEO of Affleck. So we're going to chat about that. We're going to chat to Carol. We'll talk about the busy week for news. Lisa Ross has exited Edelman um, after that uh, month of uh, hiatus. ESPN, Chris LaPlaca, he's going to retire. So uh, we'll uh, find out about that. Very, very sad news, uh, again, Chicago-related, really, about Brian Specht passing away at a far too young an age and someone very well-known in the Chicago industry. A bunch of other people news, and then the holding companies have got their Q3 results out. Very interesting stuff. A historic merger, more on the ad side, but we'll quickly touch on that. And then we'll we'll, we'll talk about the continued conflict in the... Middle East and um, how the PR industry is kind of responding to that. But uh, Carol, let's start with you. You know, you've been in the, the purpose game 40 years. We 40 years? Say, 40 years, I yeah. know, I started really young. <laughs> <laughs> you must have started when you were at junior school. Um, but you, you really are a pioneer and very well um, deserving of the, the Lifetime Achievement Award. And I was just think, looking at your, the work you've done at Rockport, Avon, PNC Financial Services, and of course Affleck, where the, my special Affleck duck was um, in a large part down to your partnership with, with them. And Dan Amos, the CEO of Affleck, did... Uh, recognize that from the stage. It's interesting. This is where public relations came in. Carol Cohn, um, she's here. I saw she her. She is. Yeah. Uh, Carol. Nice. She she played a role with Spratel, and they brought us the idea of doing this. It was kind of fun, wasn't it? We started the conference with everyone had a little duck <laughs> on their seat. Three hundred people in the room. Everyone squeezed the duck at the same time, so we had a sort of a chorus of airflax, and it was kind of it was kind of neat, wasn't it? It was a coordinated duckathon. Yeah, it was a quack a quackathon. A quackathon, yes. absolutely. It was a bit like a dawn chorus. It was. It was. I, I could wake up to that. What did you think, Frank? It was a lot. Well, it was very ducky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> no, it was. It was interesting. Um, it was interesting hearing Dan Amos talk about just uh, how high stakes the decision about embracing the duck was. Yeah, because a lot of people didn't realize that. No, he he bet his. I mean, Dan's been um, CEO 
of Affleck for 33 years and he's been at the company for 50 years. Now, he is the son of the founder. So, But that's still an incredible yeah. length Run. of time, isn't it? Second longest CEO next to Warren Buffett. That's right. Yeah. And and when he went to Carol, I mean, you, you probably remember this. Just think of going to the board with an idea like that, you know, because... It, everyone takes it for granted now. Right. That was a very bold move. It was at the really time. bold. It was really and I think he he's he framed it that, you know, if you look at the amount of money that the insurance in industry pays, hundreds of millions of dollars for memorability, whether it's State Farm Progressive or whomever, and he what he had he didn't have the money to break through. Yeah. And, you know, he gives wonderful kudos to Kaplan Thaler, because that was his agency. Yeah. And they all kind of, it was a big risk. I mean, we, we, we do take it for granted that that funny Aflac duck, Aflac. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, we were honored to Were be you able- the voice? No, no. No, 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 no. That was, that, that was another story. That was someone else. Yeah. Yes. Um, we don't talk about him anymore. Yeah. But, you know, we had the opportunity to go in there and to truly, they were, they were donating, um, at the time about 125 million to pediatric cancer at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And nobody knew about it because they're very humble. You know, they're, they're from Georgia, they're from Columbus, Georgia. And Dan is, he's got a lot of humility. And I think that, um, and he just has incredible intuition. That's what, I mean, we worked with him and we presented my special Aflac duck, the, the social robot that was going to connect the big Aflac duck and their pediatric cancer with something that came together. And, um, you know, when we presented it to him, he, he's, he was marching around the room pacing and we're going, oh, my God, he doesn't like the idea. <laughs> you know, and every agency person can know that, that, you know, not Empathize in the pit of your, that, yeah. in your stomach. And he's walking and, he's t- and, he, and he just looks at us and he says, that's the best idea I've ever heard. Wow. And we all... You know, and then then we spent a year, you know, building that My Special Aflac Duck because and with our great friends at Sproutel, who was our developer. And I always like to say that, you know, great ideas because, you know, PR Week and Decoded and all your awards. You know, how do you come up with a great idea that's authentic? And I would just like to say to any of your listeners that we all have our own superpowers and my superpower is connection making. And so you have to play into your superpower, whatever you're doing at work. And I was having lunch with Aaron Horowitz from Sproutel, and, and he was telling me about Jerry the Bear. It's another one of his inventions. He makes social robots for kids with disease. And he said, Carol, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're just about to start work with Aflac. And then all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> over my head, this thunderclap yeah, happened. Yeah. And I saw a social robot and a duck collide in my brain. And I, and he, and he looked at me and he said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I said, we're going to create a social robot duck for Aflac. And we did. That's a real light bulb moment. It was a great light bulb moment. But I think the other thing that's really important because that we spent, once Dan approved it, um, you know, we spent a year studying children and their needs. This is the deep authenticity that any of your listeners in terms of their purpose work, you got to do your homework. You've mm. got to find the nuggets. And one of the nuggets we found about children going through pediatric cancer is that they lose agency. They lose everything in their life. They, they're, they're going to school, their routines, their food, their dogs, their cats, whatever. 
And this the, little the duck. The hospital kind of dominates. Oh, the, it totally dominates. Yeah. So they go through a thousand days of treatments on average. And this duck gave them comfort and gave them a tiny sense of agency. And there was a piece of data we found that when you give a child some agency during pediatric cancer, they have a better outcome. Do you have one particular anecdote, you know, of a story of one particular kid that really resonated with you and the impact the duck had on their, on their life? We, we do, but um, I think that <laughs> there was a young lady that helped us develop the duck, and she was just incredible. She was 12 years old. She was older than some of the, the um, patients. And um, she loved him, and she was really, really supportive of him. And unfortunately, she passed away. Uh, and that just broke all of our hearts yeah. to, to show that there needs to be, because a lot of the money that Aflac raises, and they raise a lot from their agents, or agents just love the connection to pediatric cancer. Um, it goes into research. Yeah. And the... Yeah, and Dan has kind of put, he's been a genuinely purposeful CEO for long since, long before it was trendy. If Absolutely. You like. And that's how he's kind of run the business. So, um, it was good. It was great to have him on the, uh, on the, as part of the show and great to honor you as well. Um, we also got to find out who he thought would win in a fight. The Affleck <laughs> duck or the <laughs> Geico the gecko. gecko. I know, of course, really. Right. The duck would. Uh, <laughs> right. Would, you but, but you know, the other thing that Dan does, and I think it's the long-term view that Affleck has, because right now they're, they're working in terms of their public relations, in terms of closing the gap on medical debt, because that is a huge, huge problem. And they're doing a lot of things. They have this, these awards called care grants. And I, I'm, I'm very honored to be a judge for that and that they offer, um, thousands of dollars to people who write in and we have to judge a very sad situation of people that just, you know, when you, if you do not have insurance and they're not trying to sell insurance, but they're trying to educate people about, um, medical debt. Um, it, it can really, really just ruin a family. And so they do that. They also, um, they created a sickle cell duck. And so sickle cell is, um, it's when the blood cells don't get enough oxygen. And so they elevated, they evolved my, my, my MSAD, my special Aflac duck, to sickle cell duck and has different sort of interaction in terms of medical play and things like that. So they constantly evolve, but they stick with their core. Yeah. And, and that's why they're so successful. So widening it out a bit, um, where do you think we're at, we're at on purpose? There seems to have been a, a little bit of a backlash, you know, everyone's saying, well, we've done this purposeful thing and now we need to get back to basics a bit. There's been brands got in the crosshairs, you know, they've had backlashes uh, on their individual, you know, I'm thinking of Target or, you know, Anheuser-Busch or right. Millicores or whatever. Any brand could get it at any point. But w where do you think we're at? Because it's, it's, it should be about more than that, shouldn't it? If you, you talked about the authenticity of Aflac mm -hmm. and that's kind of key, but, but it's also, uh, good business, right? I'm thinking of your work at Rockport. I mean, if the value right. that brought to that brand, it helped it get sold for what billions of dollars. Yeah. It, it, well, it sold for about 250 million, right. but okay. it created Millions. a billion dollar category at retail yeah. that didn't exist. Yeah. So where we're going with purpose and it's so exciting. This is why I continue to do the work is that it has, it's segmented. Any sort of strategy that's been around for 10 or 20 years gets expanded. And so what we're doing now at Carol Cohn on Purpose, um, a large part of our work is discovering the purpose of companies. 
why do they exist? And this is, and companies that we're working with, and we just worked with Campbell and we just worked with Quest Diagnostics and the Kerry Group. And we have a lovely, wonderful new client that's in the workers' compensation um, insurance business. And it's, it's business transformation. It's understanding in these very tough times where there's so much change, what is, what do we stand for? What is our why? Which gives direction to employees. And that is, and employees, and I'm, I've been such a proponent of employees for 20 years now, and everyone's catching up, which yeah, is so great. No, yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is great because employees are the energy. They're the engine of your company. And um, interestingly, we did a piece of, of research pre-COVID and post-COVID because we've done 30 pieces of research because I love sharing best practice and such. And pre-COVID, and we launched it like three weeks before everything closed down, it was a B2B purpose paradox. And we wanted to look at the B2B world like an Aflac and find out, are they engaged with purpose, true strategic purpose? 84% of our respondents from telecommunications to healthcare, professional services, et cetera, uh, man- manufacturing said, we have a purpose. We went, what? We scratched our head. And we, and we did this with the ANA and with Harris. And then we asked them, is it activated? And only 24% said it was activated. So we had stated versus activated. Now turn to post-COVID. And we wanted to do a major piece of research. We did it with Allison and Partners. We did it with Harris. And we wanted to find out how do employees feel about what's happening in a post-COVID world. And 91% said, my company's purpose makes me feel safer because I know where we're going. And then 86% said, I want a deeper meaning at work because COVID upended all of us. And then 84% said they would only work for a purpose-driven company. So corporate purpose is really, really important. And that is where our colleagues in the PR industry, they want to get into the C-suite. And you ha- you talked a lot about that at Decoded. How do you get to the C-suite? How do you get recognized? And you do it by helping to evolve the business strategy. And that's the really fun part of purpose, which is highly strategic, highly intellectual. And then from it, once you determine it, how you activate it is where a lot of the great internal employee engagement yeah, happens, external think, um, and such. We have many, many top CCOs at the show, and I think many of them are now yeah. in the C-suite, and the, the value is recognized. How do you – what's the difference between it being a purposeful company mm-hmm. – and making statements on social issues. Is the, is the latter a kind of a subset of the first part? It is. It is. And how do you navigate that? Because that seems to be the <laughs> bit. It's a big problem. That's it's the bit where people seem to, to get into well, trouble. Purpose, when you start activating your purpose and embedding it, it's your values in action. And so when we work with companies, we determine the purpose and it's very co-created. Then you look at the values and values inform behaviors. And so where we're having this uh, cacophony, per se, in the marketplace about what social issues do we weigh in or not, the companies that are doing it well, they revert back to their values and they revert back to their purpose. What do we stand for? What business are we in? Where do we have the credibility to comment? And it cannot be on all. No. 
folk, we have a line at CCOP, Carol Connell Purpose, which is focus is your friend. I share it with anybody listening. You can take it, you can steal it, whatever. Focus is absolutely key. And that's part of the guardrails that understanding the company purpose, of even a brand purpose, it gives you guardrails in which to act. Interestingly, it's often employees who are trying to push companies to do more. And it, you have to strike that balance you with do. the employees as well, because you, again, you can't, you can't, you can't make comment on everything. everything. You can't. Yeah. Now, companies today are creating more and more employee resource groups, and their employee resource groups um, have. I know that at Quest, the Quest has fifty-one thousand employees. They have about ten thousand employees in employee resource groups, and so that allows them to come together to talk about issues, maybe to do volunteering or action in the community. So that's one way that you can engage in social issues, but it doesn't have to be external. It can be internal. It can be, you know, conversations with teams and also weighing in on policies. How are your policies? What do you make of this sort of what has been termed the anti-woke backlash where there's almost a playbook, right? Let's activate the target playbook where we... Get, get on social, we, we sort of get our troops mm-hmm. mobilized, as it were, and you can quickly shut down and, and damage a company's share price, right? We saw that with um, Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch. What, what do you make of that? And again, what would you, what's your advice? Well, one, there's no easy answer. Because I think Brian Cornell is an incredible CEO for Target. And I think Target's challenge was it wasn't just that the, the merchandise, they had real merchandise, they had sold it, is when their employees started being threatened with harm. And at that point, you have to look at your people first and you have to protect them. That's what companies did so well during COVID. I mean, companies of all different sizes and shapes during COVID, the first thing they looked at their employees, how are we going to protect them? Um, You know, AB was harder. And if I think we should go look at more Nike and what happened with Colin Kaepernick and the playbook, they knew their customer they knew their customer and what the customer would do. They have permission to do something that maybe uh, uh, AB didn't, but AB didn't handle that well. But so uh, that's a, and that's the flip flopping is a is a challenge because you're getting pressure from your board, you're getting pressure from your employee groups, you're getting pleasure, pressure from sales. And unfortunately, when their sales changed, when they lost, the, I think it was the second position of the most selling brand, that really hurt in that the really US. Hurt. Yeah. yeah. All right, we could talk all day on this because it's, it's it's right at the heart of modern comms, isn't it? But uh, congr- and we will, we'll, we'll bring you in on some of the topics because they're very relevant to this discussion. But most of all, congrats on the Lifetime Achievement Award and you're still going strong. There's plenty more to come. So it's not like uh, putting a, a wrap on a career. It's it's a well-deserved honour, but you've got, you're still going strong and, and doing loads of great work. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And when, when you called and told me about that, I was like, oh my God, that, you know, because very much in our industry, we are behind the scenes. We don't go out there and mm. we when all the, you know, yes, we like going to Cannes and yes, we loved our two can lion for the Aflac duck. <laughs> that was very cool. My special Aflac duck. <laughs> but it's wonderful to be recognized, but it's not in front of your peers. Yeah, that was yeah. love. That was yeah. sweet. That was lovely. And speaking and then, of, yes. of still going strong, are you yeah. still rollerblading? You know, I'm not. You're not. What I okay. did is that I. So you think you know everybody, and and then I didn't know you were a serious roller. Oh, I was. Yeah. Oh, I didn't especially know that. going down steep hills and going <laughs> fast. No, I gave it up because that I went back into horses, and okay. so I jump horses, and I was national jumping champion, and so I think it hurts more when you fall off your horse 
than when you fall rollerblading. Fair enough. It hurts both both ways, but you also kept one of your horses at the farm where I got married. That, oh, yeah, my God, I forgot about that. That's right. In Kentucky. It so was the most, yeah. That was a mad coincidence. So. It was a totally mad coincidence, <laughs> yeah. You want to name the farm? Go on, you name it. Oh, we're going to both forget the name of the farm. <laughs> we'll, okay, older minds, but we'll come up with it later. But it was a beautiful place, and they it had was. this beautiful wedding barn, and it was in Kentucky in Lexington. And uh, my my wonderful stallion, Harmony Bay, was retired there. Very happy day. And, yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Um, (laughs) All right, Frank, let's go. Let's just do a quick wrap-up, really, of uh, PR Decoded and Purpose. You know, it was a busy, busy couple of days, lots of things happening. We started off donating to a school with Gen Youth. Yeah, really great partnership that we've done. I believe every year that we've been in Chicago yep. for PR Decoded with Gen Youth. And um, you got to see our own uh, Ewan Larkin make a few remarks and uh, really hit it off with the students from what I understand. So terrific for PR Week to be a part of that again. Um, honestly, it's it's really hard to concisely put the whole conference into just a few moments because there, there are a lot of really big names from Dan Amos to uh, David Hogg who were there to top communicators from who a lot and, of you and also interviewed yes. expertly so I called our people and I said fire Gilbert Godfrey and they said what do you mean I said I told them what happened they said no we need to think about it I said okay if we think about it the headlines are Gilbert Godfrey does this Aflac debates what to do I said we're dead before we start so we get together as our team and literally call him back and said, we fired him. Now the problem was we had to take every commercial we had off the air immediately. And we, but we ended up taking a terrible situation and making it into a great one. We then decided to advertise that we were looking for the voice of the Aflac duck. And CBS News did a big story on it. And we had over 11,500 people apply for the job throughout the country. And the Aflac voice is a person from Minnesota that none of us knew. And he makes over hundred grand a year just quacking those three words. This is going to take a generation to help correct this and you know, bring our country back to the place where we all agree that democracy is the best form of government, that we don't plot violent insurrections when one side doesn't win, and that we actually work together as Americans for a better and brighter future, where we all agree that, you know, we'll never agree on everything completely, but that's not how we've ever made progress is focusing by what we can agree on. It's by focusing on what we can and moving forward on that in the first place. And if as a nation, we were able to land a man on the, on the damn moon, I'm pretty sure that we can stop kids from getting shot in their schools. Yeah, and I think um, some really, really uh, some surprises too. You know, I, I, I think for a conference that's that's been going on for a few years now, I think a lot of people uh, got a lot out of the uh, Carlos Terrazas Ben Trockman panel. Mm. Um, you know, in which Ben talked to him. Ben's been a podcast uh, guest in the past. Talked about becoming what he called the disability guy at at an organization and why it's a necessary thing and why that's a a part of diversity and a part of inclusion and and how it is helpful to a company overall. Yes, we were given the opportunity to be, quote, the disability guy in our organizations. 
Carlos is in office of one. I and my former employer at uh, a regional bank was an office of one. We don't didn't ask to be the disability guy. But what we've realized is that it's a significant role that we can pave the way in the future. That's why I ran for office. That's why in my day job now at Change for Balance, uh, a company that I joined that employs about half of our team with people with disabilities to work on purpose-driven work. But it gives us fire and leads us in the right direction to try and be communicators that are known as, yes, the disability guy, but so much more. So I thought that was a terrific panel. And I, I mean, really, they all were. Um, the one I had the pleasure of hosting on brand per, on uh, brand culture was, was I got a lot out of it. And honestly, it could have went on for an hour. Yeah, there were minutes. three top CCOs on your panel. Yep. I did one with five CCOs with mm. Starbucks, United, Land Lakes, Mars. And I think that one got at uh, a big question a lot of executives have, which is, you know, what do I speak out on? What do I mm. not speak out on? Where is the where's the line? It's the hardest part of our job, right? So, um, and it's changing. Two, two, three years ago, you better say something about this issue. More recently, you better not say anything about that issue. Oh, good Lord. You know, I'm getting dizzy and I'm getting old. Um, but I, what we say at Land Lakes is that we talk policy, not politics. So Beth is on the President's Export Council with the current administration. When President Trump was in there, we met with um, him and his administration. We have our uh, members' interest in the middle. There were also some interesting deep dives, if you like, into sustainable fashion, into the Hispanic market, Mm -hmm. the hidden history of PR, the forefathers that don't get talked about that uh, the first African-American PR pros and Hispanic and uh, Asian-American, which we're going to do more on. But that was a really insightful session with the Museum of PR. And it was um, actually, Carol, to my mind, it was the most diverse conference we've ever put on. It was very diverse. You know, and- in, on, across all levels, right? Ethnicity, gender, sexuality, youth. And language. And I, language. I want to talk about the Maslansky conversation. That was very interesting. That was panel, so yeah. good because... Um, they did great piece of research. I mean, a huge piece of research. And they were talking about why ESG or sustainability, whatever we're going to call it, messages don't break through. And I loved his comment where he said, we call it human capital. Call it about our employees, you know, positive yeah. employee experience. And he was spot on. It was a great presentation. He he almost was that that was the one where they're talking about responsible business. Or was that the bully pulpit one? There are two or three panels around that, and they're worth checking out, the write-ups. But people were almost suggesting that we drop ESG as a phrase. What do you think of that? In favor of responsible business, but that sounds a bit boring. I don't know. Well, we did a piece of research with consumers. Consumers, one, they don't really know the term, but CEOs in the C-suite... And um, they're just saying, don't use ESG. We have clients that are just dropping it. Mm. They're calling it responsible business. They're calling it sustainability. They're calling it purpose. The great and the most important news is that while the term is being attacked, 
and and um, even Larry Fink is not using yeah, it. Yeah, the anymore. work isn't. The work yeah. continues, and the work is important, and the work delivers so many benefits in terms of innovation, recruitment, retention, um, culture. Culture was really cool, and you and you had a conversation about culture as well. I think the one. You know, maybe dis- disappointment of Dakota was we wanted more. It was like going to a restaurant and you're only getting the appetizer and you want a full meal. So somehow we got to figure out, like, are there other breakouts or groups? Because the content was really rich. rich. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Yeah, we had Alan Murray on the podcast and he was talking about an interview he did with Bernard Looney, at, uh, the unfortunately named former CEO now at BP, but that's a whole other story. But Looney was saying, whatever we call it, doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're right. committed to it and we're right. sticking with it. So we might not call it ESG, but we're, right. we're committed to it. So, yeah, it was a great show. And um, personally, I ended it up by going to the Hispanic PR Association Awards on Thursday night, mm. the Bravo Awards, and they were terrific and it was a it was a great end to a, a always love going to chicago so um yeah um please check out the content and there'll be an ebook coming out oh nice that and um, some an other e-book. snippets who doesn't like an ebook hey we just had one come out about our, our new epic uh, research methodology. Oh, you're getting you getting all your plugs in here, Carol. No wonder epic. you've what got. What is epic? No wonder you employee purpose IQ. No, one, no wonder you've got a lifetime achievement award in a, in PR. <laughs> there you go. Um, Let's talk about the awards. Yeah, all Can right. We talk about the awards, Carol. You're you're yeah. hosting now. Well, <laughs> well, anyway, okay, Purpose Three Sixty is my podcast, so all it's funny right. to be in the other side. I'm, of I am happy to take it from there and no, talk no, about the I awards. Wanna, the awards. I will. <laughs> some of them like el- eliminate hate. With citizen relations, which was changing, were uh, that was. Go ahead, Frank. You're stealing my. Part. I love them. <laughs> they were, you go. Go ahead. No, no, you're the guest. Please. Well, I insist. There were okay. What I love that was the campaign, most yeah. purposeful campaign of the year. It was um, fabulous. Why don't you explain what it was? Uh, well, no, go ahead, go ahead, because then I'll tell you the ones I really enjoyed the most. Well, Eliminate Hate was about ethnic identities and about reclaiming the names that yeah. were not. Anglicized, really? Yeah, they get a red line under them in Microsoft Word. Yeah, and people Word and really Google. felt horrible yeah. about that. I'm not recognized. Hi, my name is Divya, and that's spelled D I V Y A. Hi, my name is Young C. It's spelled Y U N X I. My name is Suchitta, and that's spelled S U C H I T H T H A. Seeing my name underlined in red makes me feel invalidated, like someone needs to correct who I am. It just makes you feel that it. Seeing my name underlined in red, I think sort of just makes me feel like I'm not part of this, you know, community or list of normal names. It felt like if I was given a westernized name, it would just be for the convenience of others. Very smart idea. It was a brilliant idea. But what I loved about it was it was sustained. Mm. That was the one thing because I'm a judge for your awards. And when I'm giving like the highest scores versus the not, it's the sustained impact. It's got to go beyond media impressions. Mm. And, you know, yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Now, Frank, you're just about to run the New York Marathon. Yeah. You did the Berlin Marathon yes, recently. Did. did you like oh. the runner 321? Yeah, you know, I thought oh, that was terrific. Great. And um, I I thought it was great for a number of reasons. You know, number one is that is that running does tend to be an extremely uh, a diverse sport. And you get people from a lot of different countries and a lot of different backgrounds. 
but good to get somebody from a neurodiverse background coming yeah. into it too. And um, also very heartening to see how uh, other competitors of Adidas, who is behind the campaign, mm. uh, also agreeing to that partner was, on that it. That was wonderful. Because they sponsor the different marathons. You know, like yeah. uh, Adidas has... Reebok. Adidas, uh, Adidas <laughs> yeah, depending on yeah. where you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, has Berlin and Boston and, and, and mm. New Balance has New York, for instance. And it was good to see other companies... Do you office. know you've got a great idea? It's, really it's a bit thing. like that yeah. um, well, credit card. You can't say no, can you? You credit. have to explain what 321 means. Right, 321. Um, I want to make sure I get the terminology correct here. So 321. Next week, listeners, uh, the podcast, and from now on, will be brought to you by Carol Co. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> it's to do with the chromosome, yes, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's that chromosome that carries the, the Down syndrome. Right, gene. right, Gene. Yeah, I, um, that was a great one. Were there any others that stood out? I loved the South, uh, San Francisco one. Um, oh, Urban Alchemy? Yeah. Anyway, it's over that, to Frank for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a good one and, and was recognized a few times. Um, I also really enjoyed the first Digital Nation mm. about the Brilliant. nation of, of uh, I hope I'm saying this right, Tuvalu, mm -hmm. which is uh, basically under threat of being underwater. Mm -hmm. in a few years uh, and the agency behind it is a censure song um, and it basically digitizes the country's culture and history and gets other countries to recognize it and it's a really it i mean brilliant. it's a sad campaign but but very very smart you know giving it uh, what they're calling digital statehood yeah and that was a censure song so it was be beautifully yeah. done can i go back to urban well alchemy done. for of a course. second i, I was so, that was a not-for-profit that yeah. basically um, it, a lot of their employees are second chance employees. They have, they have been criminals. They're out of jail. And what they do is that they, su they supplement the police, especially in San Francisco, with homeless. And they bring two things to uh, a situation. Narcan, because many of the people yeah. are overdosing, and love and the, the, they showed a video of this hugging, a guy hugging a guy, which was just diffusing a situation where it could get really out of control, mm. violence or even gunfire or something from the police. It struck me. I had such chills. It was extraordinary. And I loved the idea. And, and part of their impact, I believe they got a $22 million grant from the city to help them grow. Yeah, so because that's huge impact. This whole narrative behind the cities, you know, falling into decline, everyone loves to but dive into the cliches and, and there are problems in cities, but they're not doing anything about it. These mm -hmm. folks are doing something about it and they're really putting their, you know, heart and soul into it. And we're actually going to be having Bayron Wilson from Urban Alchemy, oh, Alchemy oh, on the podcast in a future show, hopefully. So, because I, I was very struck that, by that one myself. You know, everyone says, oh, I, I don't want to go to San Francisco anymore. And you're like, oh, look, there's, that's a whole city you're just writing off. And people talk about Chicago in the same terms. Right. Like it's, you know, you can't even step out we, on the streets. And we, we can't a, go know. away. We have to lean into it. Yeah. And with incredible creativity and intention, 
address these issues. Yeah, for sure. A lot of work needs doing on that. Frank, elsewhere in the news, Lisa Ross has confirmed that she's exiting Edelman. Yes, that's right. Now, so she uh, took a leave of absence a few weeks ago. Uh, and Lisa Ross is, of course, Edelman's U.S. CEO and chair of its sector specialty agency network. Uh, she has left the firm effective immediately. So they are searching for somebody to replace her. But in the interim, uh, Matt Harrington, the uh, longtime top Edelman executive, and now global president and COO, will be the acting CEO for the U.S. on an interim basis. Yeah, and Lisa confirmed that on LinkedIn in a post. I guess we don't know the full story behind all that. Um, But uh, yeah, I wish Lisa well on the next step on her journey. And uh, someone else who's uh, had a great career has been on the podcast in our Hall of Fame, Chris LaPlaca. ESPN stalwart for 43 years, man and boy. So he's he's finally retired. Retiring. Frank. I bet he had one of uh, the more popular podcasts we've ever done. But yeah, he. It's, so he is, believe it or not, the longest serving behind the scenes employee at uh, ESPN, which is an incredible thing. Um, Did but, we get to the bottom of who the longest serving so employee I, I think is? It's, full stop. Yeah, I think it's Chris Berman, but that's not. That's okay. just my opinion. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I think it's Chris Berman. It's anyway, Chris, anyway, another yeah. Uh, congratulations to a long career in Chris Laplaca. He's retiring, but he mentioned that uh, if the phone rings, he may pick it up. <laughs> so we'll see if he ends up someplace else. Yeah, he's been there since uh, July 1980. He's been at ESPN, and ESPN launched in um, the beautiful city of Bristol, Connecticut, uh, the previous fall. So. Um, so he's really time. seen the whole lifetime of that yes. that broadcaster. Um, first of all, he's a lovely guy and a yes. great friend to PR Week. So we wish Chris the best, and I know we'll we'll keep in touch with him, and I'm sure he'll have contributions to make. But he deserves a bit of time off after 43 years. I think he has college age kids, what have you. So yeah, <laughs> well, congrats on a brilliant career, Chris, and. Um, it's been a pleasure working with you. Um, a sad story, Frank, that we kind of learned while we were all on our way to Decoded last week from a, someone who's well-known in the in the Chicago PRC. Very much a sad story. Uh, and that's that Salient Global CEO and founder Brian Specht uh, passed away unexpectedly uh, at the age of 50. Now, he uh, launched Salient Global in 2021, has worked with clients there, including AT&T and Southern Comfort and PepsiCo. Uh, and he uh, was also a veteran of W2O Group, which um, is now known as Real Chemistry, uh, as well as a number of other firms such as Olsen and Gage, probably where he's best known from and a few other shops. So I've got to be honest with you, really, really tough story to report on because uh, I think most people who knew Brian really liked him. Yeah, we we were very, very upset as a team and our condolences go out to his family and his um, colleagues. It's a, it's a horrible story, and uh, yeah, there was a that was a that was a that was a tough week last week in a lot of ways. Um, there were a lot of other people news, so very senior stories. So just just run us through them. BCW Weber. And Cheryl Forsett's new role. Yeah, absolutely. So BCW has brought on uh, another top executive from the client side. Uh, that's Christine Boyden. So she's going to be the new America CEO. Uh, and it also hired Michelle Hutton as global chief oh, but, client yeah. and growth officer. So two. Uh, Michelle's based in Australia, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah she used but to be both- at Edelman. Wonder. Oh yeah, I was there when they were there. So they're big names. They're, they're big names. Big names and lovely, 
smart women. And um, Mary Corcoran, uh, who had a similar role at BCW, is set to leave at the end of this year. Uh, meanwhile, Edelman's Jordan Rittenberry has been named Weber Shanwick's West President, the latest person moving from Edelman to Weber Shanwick. Bit of a, a trend happening here. So Rittenberry uh, is going to be in the newly creative role as of December 1st. He's going to oversee all of Weber's Western region, which includes Seattle, San Francisco, and Los Angeles offices, as well as the tech practice. Uh, so going from the West Coast to the East, Zeno Group has brought on Cheryl Forsatz to lead the East Coast offices. They are also promoted Byron Calamis, uh, to its first global head of innovation. A former Cone person, I would add. <laughs> uh, and, um, Cheryl comes to Zeno Group, uh, from Ferrero, USA. There's so many links back to Cone, uh, aren't it's there? The and Cone we're going to we're going to have another one soon. When uh, but Frank's going to run us through the Omnicom QR. Oh. Q3 PR results, um, not brilliant, actually, were they? No, and uh, I think disappointing when you look at how PR performed in comparison to the other sectors at Omnicom. Uh, so the PR revenue uh, at Omnicom Group is down 5.5% on a year-over-year basis organically uh, in Q3. Interesting in the comments made by the top executives at the holding company on the earnings call, they attributed some of this to a comparison against a very good 2022, which mm -hmm. is an election year, and we know the Omnicom mm -hmm. uh, firms tend to perform better when they're bolstered by election year spending, uh, and they expect the PR firms to run into similar headwinds in Q4. Yeah, that's fair, because they were up, what, 12.5%? Yeah, almost. So, yeah, it, it is a, it's it's a tough, tough competition. Yeah. Yep. I mean, when, that's the downside of doing a great quarter, isn't it? You've got to do better. <laughs> Nobody wants you to do worse, so... Uh, but yeah, it, it was, I guess it was slightly disappointing compared to the other disciplines. But um, anyway, uh, Carol, your first agency was Cone, mm -hmm. and that ended up in Omnicom and, and, and still there as part of Porto Novelli. So what's your take? Did you, do you find yourself preferring to operate outside? Are you more of an independent spirit? I mean, you've worked at Edelman, you've worked in, uh, in your own shop, you've worked in, in a holding company. What's your take on it? Well, my grandfather came to this country with nothing and he sold rags on the streets of Atlanta and then he ended up owning cotton mills. Uh, then my mother was a first entrepreneur. Uh, she had the first off-Broadway theater in New York. So it's in my blood to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, I mean, I did love the bigger firms for what you could get with resources, but I don't like the slowness. I think today you want to be flexible and agile and That's a good point. and the way that the, the, my new firm, it's not new anymore. It's eight years old. Oh my God. Um, since I left Edelman, but we have a you know, core team. We're now 12, but we have this group called the purpose collaborative and it's a network of purpose firms all around the world with all sorts of capabilities. And we do the Hollywood model. So for a client, we will bring in dream teams and it's, uh, it's, it's fun because you get to work with really amazing people. It's like a mini sort of yeah. uh, indie network for purpose. Absolutely. For agencies, yeah. yeah. And Frank, another really fascinating story. It's, just, it's a little adjacent to PR, but 
the the merger of um, Dover at WPP, which has kind of led to the disappearance of three oh. iconic advertising brands. Well, hasn't it, it? yeah, no, it's interesting because I was I was um, looking this up the other day because it, it, WPP is not afraid to do away with the no. legendary names in the front of the door, are they? Because as they did with uh, with Bursa Marsteller. Uh, and Code and Wolf really is yeah. it's now BCW. BCW so, yeah. but yeah, so more recently they've merged the ad agencies VML YNR and Wonderman Thompson. Wonderman, um, of course, Wonderman Thompson was the product of the merger itself of Wonderman and uh, JWT. So and VML and YNR. Yeah, so, yes. You know, it's, 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 I'm getting confused. Had two <laughs> yeah, this. this is like uh, four firms down to one. So the new entity is going to be called VML. Um, Frankly, think they could have come up with a better name. But anyway, <laughs> they're uh, creative, aren't they? It's going to yeah. have thirty thousand employees across sixty-four markets when uh, when it truly goes online at the start of next year. So, yeah, I mean, the interesting bit for me, being a bit of an older sort of student of the industry, I suppose, is that J. Walter Thompson. You know, that was one of the iconic and mm. uh, original names in advertising. You know, you'd have heard it in Mad Men, and it's it's gone. It's, it is no more. Oh. Young and Rubicon, you know, that was the the firm that, that bought Burson Marsteller, you know, and then then WPP acquired YNR, so it became that's how uh, Burson came into the WPP family. And Wonderman was a you know a, a very big sort of direct direct marketing company. So it's it's interesting just purely from that historical thing. But in in terms of trends, it's just uh, another sign of. WPP rationalizing its number of brands. It's done it in media. It's done it. It continues to do it in creative. And, you know, you've got to wonder what they're going to do in um, terms of PR, whether they'll do something there as well. Who knows? But um, it's certainly an interesting story. And um, our colleagues on Campaign US have been covering that deeply. Let's finish with the uh, horrific scenes that we're seeing on our uh, TVs or however you access your news, social media in the Middle East, um, it's it's a very it's very upsetting for many people, and obviously our thoughts are with everyone affected by the conflict over there. But the PRSA got caught up in a little bit of a, um, a snafu around this, didn't it, Frank? And, and had to apologise. They did, and you can tell this is a tricky one for organisations and for companies to figure out how to make a statement that um, is exactly what it should be. Uh, and some organizations have not, to be clear. So PRSA New York's president, Carmela Glover, issued an apology on Tuesday afternoon uh, for sending out an earlier email uh, that was more of a full... PRSA New York. New York, yeah. For a uh, you know full pledge of support for Israel. So she apologized for that on Tuesday afternoon. Israel is obviously engaged in the conflict uh, with Hamas. Uh, near its own borders right now. Uh, and Glover said that she thought the email subject line, which was statement and pledge of support for Israel, was, uh, quote, thoughtless, partial, uh, and irresponsible. Uh, there's no follow-up comment from her yet about the apology. But this is obviously a very volatile situation. Uh, President Biden was there earlier this afternoon. We're recording on a Wednesday, so it was uh, he was there on Wednesday. Um, and he was there the day after uh, an explosion at a hospital in Gaza, and both sides are arguing over who's to blame for it, killed more than 500 people. So uh, it's a very volatile situation. I, I think people are universally hoping it will be resolved as quickly as it can be. Yeah, Carol, it's such an emotive issue. 
um, on, and there are a number of levels from a, a communicator or a business person, aren't there? I suppose many businesses would be like, let, let's just keep our heads down and let's let's keep away from it. And frankly, that seems to be what a lot are doing. First of all, what what are your thoughts? And and secondly, what would your advice be for anyone in a in a company trying to navigate this or in any organization? Because again, there's there's employee engagement issues there. There are many companies based out there with you know right. with uh, either partners or um, subsidiaries based in 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 the the areas uh, that are you know, seeing this conflict? Well, one, it's a tragic, tragic situation. And we as a firm have been actually um, tied to it because one of our employees has a son there. Um, so uh, we're giving her a lot of support. Yeah. I would say, and our clients are asking us, is that it's an internal conversation. And it's um, the companies have to decide are they going to support just Israel or are they going to support just humanity? But most companies are not making external announcements, and I don't think they should. And God forbid any brand that tries to take advantage of it, that would just be not Yeah, right. unconscionable. Very unconscionable. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, you want to be human. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. And what happened in Israel was... Horrific! What's happening to the to the Palestinians that are not part of Hamas? They didn't ask to be brought into this, and then the and the loss of children is just yes, um, horrendous. It's horrendous. Frank, the other element to this is the sort of misinformation and disinformation <laughs> yeah. and social media, isn't it? Because there's so much stuff getting uh, thrown at you, you have no idea whether it's real or not. And uh, yeah, and um, in a classic. What, what's become over the past year a classic case of like bad timed misinformation coming out of X, formerly known as Twitter, is also the news that they're going to start charging new users a dollar just as they're mired into this massive misinformation issue. And I, I think there's going to be a bit of a reckoning in the weeks and months to come after, uh, about because this is the first really, truly like deadly situation where there's been a lot of misinformation circulating um, on that app. Uh, all at once as, as the situation has started. Of course, the situation in, in the war in Ukraine is, you know, was already underway uh, when a lot of the safeguards were removed on that platform. So, I mean, I, I think there's going to be another reckoning in terms of how people use that platform, how brands use that platform, because, you know, if, if you're tied to it and you use it as a news gathering tool, you really have to work extra hard nowadays to see what's real and, and what's not. And all, all of the tools that enabled you to see what was reputable information uh, are pretty much gone now. Yeah, when you've got rid of all your fact checkers, all your content moderators, when you don't have a comms team, you know, we've seen that with their CEO, Linda Yaccarino, being totally unprepared in public appearances. So, yeah, that for sure. And, and you know, just as a journalist, I... I uh, Grief for all the journalists that have died over there um, as well. That's yeah. supposed to be not meant to be brought into military conflicts. Um, but yeah, it's just a horrendous, you said it, uh, Carol, it's a horrendous situation. So, um, but um, I suspect there's more to, more violence to come. I, I can't, I think there's no point sugarcoating it, is there? But, um, and that, the hospital situation where doctors, volunteers, medicine for some frontier, people were being killed, you know, who are giving up their lives to go and help and uh, they're, they're 
they're, they're perishing by doing it. So yes, sad way to end the podcast, but I'm afraid that that's what's going on in the world. So we need to reflect that. Carol, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Congratulations again on your lifetime achievement, and you're you're here for Advertising Week and uh, dipping in and out. So we'll see you see you soon. Again, thank you so much. That was um, it will be cherished my entire life. And um, PR Decoded is is an event that your listeners should absolutely put on their must go to if they have any interest in purpose whatsoever. Thank you. Promoting us as well. And I want to, can I read it out with to exist as a relevant business today is to enrich the world. Got it. We uh, can't disagree with that one. All right. Well, the, the, the show moves on 40 under 40 is next week. So it's on the 26th in New York, always one of our favorite nights of the year. And uh, you and Larkin will be hosting that for us and um, looking forward to a great night. We have the Hall of Fame on the 4th of December in New York, um, bringing six more legends into the um, PR Week Hall of Fame. Looking forward to that a lot. And um, yeah, we're starting to look forward to our 25th PR Week Awards in uh, March 2024. We're just uh, coming to the end of the entry process. So, yeah. Um, and, Frank, we're also sort of realizing there's only about, what, seven weeks left of the year. <laughs> so uh, The fall weather, when we when we uh, got to Chicago last week, it was most certainly fall there. It was turning, so, wasn't uh, it? Definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's all we got time for, folks. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs> <laughs>